Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 176th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's paradoxically banned in all but the most civil of societies. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Glad to have you back safe and secure from your trip overseas. How is Turkey, Bulgaria, Romania... Constantinople. <laughs> it was three days in Amsterdam, uh, five days in Bulgaria, five days in Turkey vis-a-vis uh, Istanbul, and then back to Bulgaria for a couple days before home. And uh, Alara and Ellie are still in Bulgaria until Friday. Oh, they're still over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just thought I heard someone if, in the background. If my lovely partner had her way, she'd spend the whole summer there because that's the European way. Mm-hmm. They usually take at least a month off in the summer. Yep. I remember running into that problem being in Europe ourselves a couple of years ago and finding all sorts of stuff we wanted to do closed. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty amazing trip. Um, it was my first time in Amsterdam. And I'll tell you, if you want to understand how many other countries are getting it wrong, go spend some time in one of the most advanced cities on the planet. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it's incredible. It's a city of like a million bicycles. And I'm not exaggerating. And it's only like 800,000 people mm. there. Um huge like basically the entire city is dominated by bike paths and canals (laughs) you can take your pick of the two uh you can also walk but driving is insane that would be a very poor choice because you will not have right of way against all of the other options um pretty huge into like hipster liberal eco-sensitive culture without making a big deal out of it just kind of everybody naturally doing the reasonable competent thing (laughs) go figure uh groceries are inexpensive the city itself is relatively expensive but no more so than any other big city like toronto new york la um tons of history lots of beautiful people i'm about hip high on most of the females there so Hmm. that's an interesting scene did you get into anything a little uh dicey while you were there well my my buddy's entire intent um a was that he's never been to europe so the whole thing was that he's from barbados and we're taking him to europe B was that he wanted to try pot while in Amsterdam because his concept of where you do that is like 20 years out of date, I guess. Um, most people realize that you're supposed to come to Toronto to do that now since you can go to all sorts of designer boutiques for said same. But he had, we ended up on the final night um, heading to one of the preeminent edibles boutiques in Amsterdam where he promptly bought way too many brownies against their better advice and then ended up down this like vicious hole (laughs) that i didn't know how to get him out of because i don't know anything about yeah (laughs) my understanding and this comes solely from reading tweets from comedians is that edibles are the type of thing where you take a bite you spend the first 45 minutes thinking it didn't do anything and take a second bite and then an hour you know at minute 60 you realize you've taken way too much he was talking very tough about how he smokes at home occasionally and so he knows what he's doing and they straight up warned him like this is a like going to your stomach lining is different you're going to absorb more faster 
and b this is the real deal like this is indica and sativa at their at their finest hydroponically you know dna manicured strains and what have you so um yeah he ate too much too fast and ended up with his head in between his knees i went and ordered a pizza came back hoping he was gonna shake it off and apparently what i was supposed to do was give him like some red bull or uh caffeine or coke because apparently with the blends that he was on um his blood sugar may have been crashing Mm. um so they're you're supposed to give the person uppers or something to bring him back out of it but i don't know anything about it so that instead i just laughed at him for about 45 minutes then i got on my bicycle and sauntered off to the red light district to have a look around and see what a total massacre that place is and that's where (laughs) and that's where you ended up with a head between your knees too (laughs) (laughs) uh i ended up shaking my head quite a bit because it's just like the worst of all possible worlds you would think that a red light district would thrive on being some combination of uh discreet and private i guess those are the same thing um discreet and not fully disnified like on any given night there especially in the summertime it is just full of people like tens of thousands of people and there's all these girls in windows trying to beckon people but 99.5 percent of the people are just taking pictures for their twitter or instagram and they're not supposed to be because there's signs everywhere saying don't please don't take pictures of the sex workers (laughs) so it's a total culture clash between the street the, the outside the window culture and the inside the window culture. I don't know why anyone would ever go there to purchase sex acts of any kind because you're going to end up with 60 pictures taken of you while you do so. There's no privacy whatsoever. Um, it was sort of interesting for people watching, but the, the sex workers yelling at people constantly kind of really put a damper on any, any sexiness that might once have existed in that neighborhood. I, so it was actually my least favorite part of it. I guess if you're, if it's once it's legal, Right. Once you don't have to maintain any semblance of discretion in order to stay on the right side of the law. If you're in anything approaching a capitalist society, like it's going to turn it into that, right? Like because suddenly you're the best way of getting business is going to be to be the loudest, biggest, most noticeable person on the block because you can be. And and if you're well, gonna I mean, fr- and if you're like- frequenting that like if you really if you're looking for discretion I feel like you you you'd immediately want to go someplace that wasn't known for that. Well, in the age of the internet, it's amazing that any business gets done in this fashion at all when you can just you know order things up off a menu. Um, but certainly the businesses in the region that seemed like they they were doing the best were the bars, the restaurants. There were some like couples oriented sex show type places that seemed very busy. Um, I find all these like gray and black market capitalist uh, case studies very fascinating. So I spent a little bit, about an hour wandering around, people watching, and then kind of got bored and went off bicycling into other zones around Amsterdam. Yeah. After about 13 um, minutes. I had to, then I had to, <laughs> well, then I had to go because Buddy Boy was still in his little K-hole or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go take his bike back and mine back to the place we rented it from because we had a very early flight the next morning. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind well, of Well, my takeaway here uh, is, uh, when are you taking me someplace? When, when do I yeah. get the, the James Chilcott, uh, you know, international trip? Yeah. I, I've got a couple continents I haven't been lots. to. <laughs> All right. 
and and we've got uh, contacts all over the place. So I'm sure we can work something <laughs> out. The uh, it was interesting to like dip into magic culture in each of these cities too, because so in Amsterdam I found like the one overpriced toy slash gaming shop in the in the heart of the city that really shouldn't have had anything that I wanted, but actually had like a War of the Spark pre-release kits at some reasonable price. I think it worked out to about 26 US or something. Um, and which seems like good, seem like good buys. They come with like two foil promos or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of good options to end up with there. And I went through their bulk box and picked out a whole bunch of stuff like foil nature's claim for like 0.5 euro and so forth. So I made about like 30 or 40 bucks in 10 minutes there. Then went about my business elsewhere. Dropped into the store I'd been to before when I was in Istanbul. Uh, picked up a Russian signed uh, guild pack steam vents for 25 US. That seemed like a good bargain. Mm. And a foil EMA winter orb for about the same Ooh. price. Which I've been selling for 40 to 45. Mm-hmm. So managed to make a little money everywhere I went. Which is uh, a fun little game to play. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's cool. That's cool. Um. All right, sounds like it was a good trip. Um, do you know you know what, James? What's Our that? show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby, discuss your international travel plans, all that good stuff. <laughs> Thanks to Cliff for covering while I was gone, by the way. Shout out to Cliff. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on the agenda this week? This week, we have a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch, cards James and I have a positive outlook on. I see you are uh, making up for lost time. Segment three, our metagame we can review. We have a uh, MTGO Modern MCQ that just got the data dump was earlier today, and there's some as they say, spicy meatballs. And finally, the topic of the week, the banned and restricted list changes. Uh, pretty big, pretty big events, both in modern and EDH. So definitely some some content to chew through there. Let's kick off the week here with Primal Beyond out of Morning Tide. Foils from 18 to 32 for a little less than a double up. This is definitely on the back of Elementals between Modern Horizons and Magic 20. Um, and also the fact that Risen Reef is apparently so good, it can make a bad tribe playable, which I'm sure, even though Primal Beyond isn't legal with Risen Reef in standard, um, it'd be modern and your kitchen table, apparently it's good enough that sent people to go look for it. Um, so I, I'm happy to sell these, though, because you never know where that might pop up again, uh, especially with elementals in standard. Wizards might find a, a reason to put it in a little later. Yeah, and if, for instance, one of the commander decks ends up being about elementals, then that could easily see a reprint there. Yeah. Um, and that that announcement's not far off. So I sold out of mine this week happily into a triple or a quadruple. Yeah, and those are um, nut foils, right? So it's a little different, but, you know, idea is still the same. Yeah, well, it was it was non-foils that I was selling. Mostly. Right, right. I mean, um, it, they've, they've certainly been on the rise. I think original pricing on those maybe not so long ago was three or four bucks there wasn't really much reason to be holding them um but now that they've gotten a little harder on elementals um they're i think they're probably pretty likely to 
hold 20 to 25 when the dust settles, especially if we do, in fact, get an Elementals deck. Yeah, and I mean, that Risen Reef is looking pretty legit, right? Like, that card is is doing a lot of work. Risen Reef's a nice linchpin, and there's a couple of... There are a bunch of other Elemental... They've printed so many kind of random, disparate Elementals over time that somebody even posted a really crazy modern list that was running, like, Maul Drifter and um, whatever the five-color one is, and... I think it maybe had a Cavalier or two in it. It was just like all over the place. Um, and when you have Flamekin Harbinger and a you know five color land to tie your tie tie your tribe together and kind of go get your silver bullets, it's not crazy to imagine that there might be a deck there. Now, is it tier one? Probably not. Um, tier one's pretty well established in modern right now, even with Hogak Hogak gone. Um, but you know F and M style decks, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's probably probably a couple of different ways. To there's a, you know, there's always a remote possibility that someone figures out how to make, uh, oh god, horde of elementals do something right where you know you can pay five to play stuff from your graveyard. That's not an insignificant effect. Um, you just have to have the payoff for it, and you've got uh, Morophon there as well. So like you could, I guess, discard Morophon, pay five to put it into play with your elemental and then like if all the elementals in your hand have solid color monocost you can play them all for free so like it seems like i don't know there's a possibility but i agree that it's not worth hanging on to these on the off chance that someone puts something crazy together like that yeah the other big card i think is thunderkin awakener right because that's the one that lets you bring elementals back from your yes oh yeah for sure it's basically the dread. So you've got Snapcaster Mage is the blue, you know, as is what it is. And then you've got uh, Dreadhorde Arcanus is the red Snapcaster Mage. And then you've got the which Thunderkin Awaken or whatever is the Elemental Snapcaster Mage, the Elemental Dreadhorde Arcanist. <laughs> sure, uh, it's looking good for standard. Might might do some things at least in meme style decks for modern there's already been plenty of streams that have fooled around with elementals so we'll see how that develops over time um a lot of this is going to depend how much money elementals make you for non-foils is certainly going to depend on whether this commander deck shows up and if it does which ones are included um and if it doesn't then you know there are still plenty of elementals already on the table yeah okay following that goblin ringleader foils out of apocalypse 45 to 85 whew uh we'll see about that but that is uh goblins has had some success in modern with um now that we got matron in modern horizons and ringleader in magic 2020 um which is also i'm sure part of what's driving this here is that ringleader got reprinted in the modern so now there's a reason to own the apocalypse foils for people other than diehard legacy fans i guess i mean i guess i could see like 70 or 80 bucks the problem is you're just you're gonna sell them at that price but you're gonna sell one every four months yeah, I think you're going to have trouble getting out of ringleaders at that price. Um, despite the fact that Black Red Goblins has put up multiple 5-0 lists lately, and that was in a meta with Hogak. So without Hogak, that's one less t- Apex Predator in the mix. Um, maybe maybe Goblins get a chance to shine. What really needs to happen here to kind of like tipping point any of these cards and push them further along or hold, you know protect them from a retrace is they need to top eight at some point into something major. And we haven't seen that happen. And and I would go so far as to say it needs to be consistent. Like, you know, they doing it once just isn't, isn't enough for the most part, right? Like it needs to really put it together a couple times. I don't know. I mean, we're seeing a lot of movement on cards just off these five O lists. And that's in a world where these five O modern league 
list dumps are basically curated to give the appearance of diversity that may not actually exist by the numbers. Um, you know, we see interesting things in these lists all the time now, and that says really good things about what your local scene could look like, like in terms of diversity. But it's still really hard to, even in the absence of Hogak, you still got Arclight Phoenix, you've got humans, you've got spirits, you've got Eldrazi Tron and other Tron variants all posted up in the in tier one lists saying, okay, like, you know, come at me. What do you have? <laughs> you probably have tier two or worse, but you maybe it's fun to play. So maybe that's your deck of choice. But if you're serious, you're probably playing one of these other decks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, but it's still modern, right? It's still open. People can play whatever they want, which is, which is nice at least. And, and a good black, red goblins player with lots of experience could easily take, take down a tournament if they end up running up against a bunch of people that are on decks that, that they don't know as well, or if they're not prepared for your rogue deck. We've seen it before. There's that Japanese player whose name escapes me who played blue blackberries forever on the Pro Tour um, and only recently switched to Hogak because he said that his deck couldn't... Oh, that was... Crud. Now I can't remember. You're upsetting me. It was PV, it was the English player. was, uh, well, not English. Uh, English-speaking player. But who was the Japanese one? Damn throwing me for a loop i'll have to look it up um but yeah i mean knowing your deck well counts in yeah next on the list we've got arkham's astrolab uh foils going from 450 to 9 i think i called this one if it wasn't on cast it was in the discord a couple weeks back um astrolab looks like a lock for a whole bunch of things showing up in popper showing up in multiple modern deck lists including the urza engine based ones um and you know, foils in MH1 as opposed to M20 forward are not using the increased foil distribution rates. Um, so, foil, you know, and, and Modern Horizons is not at, printed at the level of a standard set. So the combination of those two things means that even common foils, if they are uh, under enough pressure, will see gains. And we're already seeing that with Astro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week, too. The card is nuts. Um uh, you know, what was it? Hold on. We can look back here. Uh, yeah, the foils last week were showing four to eight. So this is basically the same piece of data uh, that that card is just really popular. And I'm, I, I fear that my fear for foils is that they'll actually print it into standard. I think that's theoretically possible that they would put this in a snow standard set in like a year. Maybe not. Maybe it's too good. Hard, hard to say. But it, one of the things that I think is worth flagging around this card is that to play it, you need to be running snow-covered basics because you can't cast it without snow. So, which is, you know, the balancing point on why it's so good for one. Um, which is one of the pivot points that is leading me to believe that the snow-covered basics are maybe being undervalued. I'm seeing them, as we're going to see as we go through these league lists, there are at least four or five different archetypes who have switched over to running entirely snow-covered basics for one reason or another. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's uh, Ice Fang, Coatl, Dead of Winter, um, the Path to Exile variant. Um, many of the Modern Horizon snow cards are seeing a smattering of play, and if you're playing even one of them, you are going to automatically play the snow covered basics. So, and, and the snow covered basics are holding up pretty well. Even the non foils have kind of settled in that seventy five cent to a dollar range, which is is significantly better than say twenty five cents or fifty, obviously. And the foils have come down into about the ten dollar range from say fifteen to twenty five. 
but I suspect that those are going to rebound given six to 12 months. Now there's a ton of, we, we were looking at some tweets. Uh, I think you were still in the country of a pretty major supply of snow basics over here. There was, what was it? It was like some photo of somebody with like 10,000 copies or something like that. But those must, those were obviously non-foils. The foils are tempting for sure. Because I, I will say that, you know, if we get snow in standard, which is pretty likely, um, the fact that, you know, we'll get snow basics, but they probably won't be full art, which which positions the full art foils pretty decently. And I will say, also after you mention it, it got me thinking that you do need to be playing snow lands in order to play Astrolabe. Uh, in modern, that's not too bad because you have fetches, you fetch for your snow basic and then your snow basic allows you to or your astrolab allows you to convert that basic into whatever color you want but in standard if they don't print fetches which they probably wouldn't now it's a lot safer because it's like if you don't have if they put other duels in the format like let's say you know you have your um not the horizon lands but you know whatever happens to be in standard at the time which aren't snow lands they'd likely introduce a cycle of snow snow duels of some nature in that standard set, but you'd have snow basics in that one group of a couple of like four lands, you know, four green, white snow lands. And then that would be it for your snow capacity. So the card is actually more fair because there would be no fetches in standard alongside of it. So maybe it could show up in standard, but I will say if it doesn't show up in standard, this seems like it's going to be honestly a 20 or $30 foil. Uh, probably not this year, but next year, I think, because that's seen a lot of play and decks really like that one mana cycle plus mana fixing. Um, and a lot of strategies are going to take use of that. There's a couple things. A, how much I'm into common foils from MH1 that see solid play and or the Snowlands, Snow Basic foils. Um, largely depends on how many how many waves we get of Modern Horizons that are notable and to what extent they um, seem to be present in the market. If we see eBay bins for boxes fill up and get and the price gets pushed down towards dealer cost in the like 170 to 180 range at some point in the next six months, say there's like a huge push on this product in Q4 and we don't get another premium product before the end of the year, that would be put a dampener on things and drag things out a bit the same way as it did with Eternal Masters staples, as we've talked about a few times. But I have this sneaking suspicion that Modern Horizons, that they're not going to be that patient, that they're not going to wait the full year on Modern Horizons to give us more premium product. And I could, there could be some Modern Masters style set scheduled for Q4 near Christmas. And therefore, if that's the case, if, if that happens in Q4 or Q1 2020, then I think all the Modern Horizons stuff gets much more attractive because they are not going to push a ton of Modern Horizons through the distribution channels when they're trying to sell this new thing. And that's what kind of the assumption that we've been working on, right, is that you are going to see a lot more or you're not going to see as much Modern Horizons as you might have expected to, um, given their claims that it's an infinite run set type of thing. And I know that, you know, Cliff and I were really big on Modern Horizons cards last week, and I've been writing about them a lot in my article. And you and I talked a little bit, both online and offline, that we think it looks pretty good. Um, you know, we're, we were talking about holding our boxes because we think that it's probably the best best long-term play for that for a little while. So I, I, I agree. The concern here is that, they do more Modern Horizons runs and the existence of another premium product this fall will make it much better for Modern Horizons than it would if they don't put one and people keep returning to that well 
until they get another Ultimate Masters or whatever that whatever it is at that time. So far, I'm willing to bet that the next notable influx of Modern Horizons is in Q4 this year, and that it will be it will represent less than ten to fifteen percent of the total print run we've seen so far. You're another Modern Horizons run that's ten to fifteen percent of what exists on the market right now. Yeah, and it's not it's not even clear to me that that is coming hot off the presses or it's just been held in mm. reserve. But my my point being that if an LGS top tier LGS that might have got I don't know ten or twenty cases or something of it might get a half dozen or a dozen, maybe yeah. less. Well, I mean, it definitely fits with Wizard's strategy to milk players to push newer product, right? Like they've just been putting putting so much new product out every single cycle. They're not letting anything gestate and mature right like they it feels like they will cut off modern horizons with a new product they'd rather do that than anything else and and again it's not that there's no latent demand for modern horizons a lot of the singles are doing very well it's more that it's harder to push anything through the distribution channel without a full uh full court press on the marketing side than it is uh with it so whatever if there is a premium product in the distribution pipeline for the next six months, that's obviously going to get the priority because they're going to have an, it's their cost to get us to buy it is lower spread over the entire campaign versus trying to turn our heads back three or four products to modern horizons and be like, see, see, go get that. When most of us have already kind of segued into a, um, I pick up the occasional modern horizon singles that I need from my LGS or, whatever, mm-hmm. or TCG or eBay or, whatever your source of choices. All right. So anyway, pushing on through this list, Omnath, Locus of the Royal, M20 non-foil has gone from 7 to 15. This is the back, on the back of standard elementals looking very strong in standard. Um, and Omnath being a three uh, mana mythic, uh, three mana casting cost mythic that is usually played as a three or a four of in that deck. Likewise, Primal Beyond. Uh, oh, I guess we got that non-foils here from 8 to 16 we already talked about the foils going from 18 to over 30 so over 100 percent there another notable elemental cavalier of thorns was called out by the arena decklist podcast with uh, uh gary t um as a potentially very strong mythic that might be run as a three or a four of an elemental list or some other mid-range grindy lists for standard. it was only a matter of time until one of them got figured out we knew it was going to be one of them it was just which I, w- I would have guessed the black one, and I still think that one has legs, but uh, I was a little surprised that the, you know, putting a land into play was big, that big of a deal, um, but apparently it's good enough. Um, it also, I think that all of these being triple color signals, Theros next spring, as we've discussed, um, so there's a good possibility that it will have some synergies if Devotion becomes a mechanic well, in 2020. Remember that if the if these end up having a play pattern anywhere close to Titans, you the first level is figuring out which one is the best one, and the second level is figuring out which tight, which Cavalier kills Cavaliers or deals with them. Now, it used to be sure. Frost Titan, right? Frost Titan was the go-to, and that went from like $2 to like 20 because everyone was tapping down Primeval Titans with it. Gotcha. So Cavalier of Thorns from 5 to 12, over our almost 120%. Uh, and then Leyline of Abundance was a card that we were talking up in our Discord. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of clued into it at the same time that it might be good enough for Standard, might be good enough for Modern. 
Um, being able to drop ley lines into play for free if you've got enough uh, creatures to tap for mana might allow you to accelerate in an explosive fashion uh, with the right deck list. So we saw this thing go from like a dollar, I think picking up copies around a dollar fifty. This has two to four fifty this week, so almost one hundred twenty five percent gains. I'd be looking to if buy lists are favorable to this a month or two out. Uh, I'd be looking to get out relatively quickly and then think about it again for the long term down the road yeah i kind of forgot that this was a card i was excited about it when it came out but then there hasn't really been much action with it since then um but i could definitely see this really having some impact Uh, i mean playing this on turn zero and then turn one birds this also sets up like your neoform combos too right or even more, no, it sets up more than that because you go to three on turn two. Three on turn two is a lot of mana. Let's just go with that. Yeah, and that's in a format where you could be holding disposable cards that generate mana as well. Um, Simeon Spirit Guides and the like. So God, four mana on turn two. Ugh. So Leyland Abundance is very interesting. It's a little, in standard, Land of War Elves is Dominaria, right? So it rotates in the fall. So the question is, what does the fall set provide that might replace that uh, in terms of whether this is going to be a flash in the pan for standard or have a little bit of legs? Obviously, we always like staples to post up in two or more formats at the same time. So if somebody pulls together a uh, you know tier 2.5 or tier 3 modern list and this is doing well in standard, that's kind of your perfect storm. It's a cool card, um, and I, and I hope people are able to do something with it. Um, after that, Chandra Awakened Inferno non-foils 15 to 35. Uh, Chandra Awakened Inferno is the six mana one. So this is a big Chandra that people have been playing sort of as a top end in like control decks in standard um, to really wrench people out of the game. It also stops Nexus of Fate decks. I don't know how big of a deal those are at the moment, but that's some of the work it's been doing. 35 is pretty high for this, especially in a standard where people are playing Planeswalker splits. Um, So I'd be happy to get out of mine at this rate, although that does signal that she is going to be a major component of standard here on out. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she can't be countered, um, I think really puts her over the top. Um, because she represents a significant threat to the blue base control decks. Yeah. And then she, her various other abilities give her, allow her to do a lot of work dealing with cluttered boards and mid range decks. Yeah. She's, uh, she's cool. She's cool. It's just, you know, as a, as a six mana planeswalker, that seems like she's better as a way of annoying other strategies than she is a, standalone threat i feel like no one's on people aren't going to regularly be running four of her right i i haven't clocked any lists doing especially well in the standard leagues that are running four of her like for instance people seem fairly intent on making green red dinosaurs a thing because marauding raptor is so ridiculous in that deck um and i usually see one or two of shonda awakened inferno in the sideboard yeah so i i think if i was currently holding a chandra we have typically seen i think once your standard mythic planeswalker gets up into the 30 to 40 dollar range if you don't need it to play with that's a sell. yeah yeah i mean really what planeswalkers have held a price point over 40 dollars in standard it was jace uh and i guess gideon for a time like uh ally of zendikar that was it like teferi hero of dominaria uh was he over 40 
Yeah, I can double check that right. He was now. definitely he was close. He was definitely close at least. He peaked in paper. Oh yeah, he's been currently he's supposedly around forty dollars, and he's been in the forty to fifty to thirty-five to fifty dollar range the whole okay. time. Okay, so even if it's three, that's three over what time period? <laughs> like since since Lorwin really. It does help that. This Chandra is a Somerset Chandra, but it also means she only gets a year to perform. Right. Kind of a balance trade-off there. Mm-hmm. So I think selling those seems real good. Uh, Flamekin Harbinger out of, this is the Plane Chase uh, version, non-foils from 4 to 10. That's more Elementals hype, this time for Modern. Una, Queen of the Fey foils, already popped earlier this year. This is the modern Masters version, not the original version from Shad- uh, Lorwyn Block. Um, these foils going from 15 to 40 because it combos with Painter's Servant having just been unbanned in each. Oh, okay. Interesting. I was wondering what the other Painter's Servant cards would be. Obviously, it was... Uh, grindstone. The question was, what else is it going to be? Yeah, because Una's ability is X, blue, black, choose a color, target opponent exiles the top X cards of his or her library for each card of the chosen color exile this way, put a 1-1 one, one blue, uh, blue, black, fairy, rogue creature. So basically, you put in X plus 1 mana, and you're getting X fairies, because all of their cards are the same color. Mm-hmm. That's that's cute i mean yeah i mean that's a fine purchase for edh i guess like it's not good enough in any other format but i'll give it to you for edh sure sure the the fact that she's a she's a wizard as well has implications for edh your wizard harry there's a bunch of different different interactions and combos that make her a desirable commander card and she's strong without like ending games on the spot she can be answered and so forth so she's not going to make any permanent enemies in your play group but always does something interesting. Yep. Uh, on that note, and and all, and and further, Modern Masters is quite some time ago. So, and that's the most recent foil, and the only other one was from Lorwyn Block. So, not that surprising to see all of those that relatively modest supply of foils having been drained out of the market, given enough time and enough interactions. Yeah, and Modern Masters, the initial run uh, was pretty limited, anyways. People probably. You know, Modern Masters 3, people definitely remember it being pretty healthy, uh, but not, not not the first one. That first one was double MSRP. Um, yep. Flamekin Harbinger, non-foils from Planar, from, oh, from Plane Chase, okay. Uh, no, we just covered Oh, that. you did, okay, I thought, I'm like, I <laughs> I heard you say it, and I looked down the page, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't see it. I guess he didn't say it out loud. Okay, oh, oh, because... Yeah. You're on. MBS oh yeah, he's, 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 your your cursor, your your cursor messed me up, James. I went backwards. Um, grindstone uh, foils out of the master series, um, masterpiece series adventures. Also, the non foils from Tempest are gone as well. All, basically, all the copies. Um, definitely a, a painter servant combo for commander. Um, servant grindstone is the servant combo. You make uh, all the cards in somebody's deck. I say blue, you activate Grindstone, naming blue, and their deck disappears. Um, So kind of a jerk thing to do in Commander, really, but it's there. I guess it's not any different than any of the other 
infinite combos. It's pretty potent in commander, I think. You know, there's a zillion two mana two card combos in commander. These are, you know, painter servant grindstone are too inexpensive. And I mean that in the converted mana cost sense. Um, two inexpensive components and Modern Horizons just introduced Goblin Engineer, which will tutor either of them and bring either of them back from the graveyard. So it's a very re- easily found and resilient combo. Obviously, you've always been able to play Vampiric Tutor for whatever other two card combo you are running, which, you know, can kind of help set those types of combos up anyways. But, you know, just just Engineer alone gives that combo a lot of extra length that it and- wouldn't have otherwise. In Bray, I have like eight different ways to go find this combo. Because yeah. you don't just have Engineer, you have Goblin Welder too. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, and a whole bunch of, you have Trinket Mage, you have Trophy Mage, you have whatever the mage is, it gets threes and sixes. So in Brea, you depending on how you build it, you can toolbox the whole thing. Yeah, it's just, uh, the Goblin Engineer is so disgusting because not only would you tutor it, you can get it back if they blow it up. Yeah gross card well i mean goblin welder is the same thing right goblin welder switches uh artifact and play oh, yeah, artifact he, in the graveyard he does do that uh yeah but he doesn't tutor so that's the thing is goblin engineer both tutors and gets them back if they've been blowing up that's why i was just thinking that card is so good like if i yeah. found one half i'll go get it with goblin engineer and if you blew the first half up in response i will use goblin engineer to get the first half back yeah, you just have to kind of decide <laughs> how combo specific you want to be. My current EDH group are a bunch of very lovely people that always make me a fantastic meal, but they're also noobs, so I, I try to not combo them out. <laughs> we're, we're definitely playing like 60% power level in most of the decks right Which now. is the way to do it. I, I If I ever have infinite combos in my commander decks, it's not on purpose. Like I ended up with it in there on accident, and I do not tutor them. I also don't play tutors because I think that's boring. So the other versions of Grindstone and Painter Servant also took off. We had Grindstone from uh, Tempest from 10 to over 30, so potentially 200% there. Um, we have Painter Servant from Shadowmoor is the only other printing of the card, and non-foils went from 10 to 12 to up to, say, 50. And copies were actually selling. People were reporting copies sold in our Discord around that price. So there are folks who do not want to get left behind here. Um, and it's not the kind of card that you are likely to see reprinted um, anytime soon. I don't even know where you would print this card. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Um, we also have the Shadowmore Foils going from mid-20s to somewhere over $100, so potentially 4 or 500% gains there. And if you don't like this particular combo in EDH and you happen to be holding, then by all means, sell, sell, sell. Anybody who bought bad some of these bad Masterpiece Series artifacts that didn't really have a reason to be pursued, but got them for like $25 to $40 is just in such a sweet position um, right now. And it's not the first time we've seen that. Also, a big reversal um, yesterday because Paradox Engine was a card that was banned, of course, in EDH. Uh, I was holding nine masterpiece <laughs> copies that I had just reloaded on in March under a hundred dollars in Europe, and they were selling. I was selling them pretty steadily, close to two hundred. <coughs> um, and Card Kingdom left their buy list open for a few hours yesterday, and so at first I just ignored it, thinking they were going to close it immediately. And then a few hours later, it was still sitting there. So I said, "Well, I guess I'll go ahead and try to make this buy list order." So. 
it's all wrapped and ready to go and confirmed and they haven't canceled it yet so in theory i'm getting 1600 in credit for those but i guess we'll which see. is kind of odd because i mean the whole i have had some poor interactions in the past with that with not uh, not them but like with other vendors because they put the prices on their page and i say okay i'm gonna send you all these cards at this price and they go eh, never mind I'm like, well, oh, yeah. so I, I can't believe that they're going to honor that for you because why would they? Well, Card Kingdom has the reputation of being the ones that never reject a Brylist price that they had posted. Uh, most of the other vendors will do whatever they want. So Abu, for instance, I tried to send them just four normal Paradox engines and two hours later got a thing saying, nope, nope. nope. <laughs> um, and I gave Card Kingdom 24 hours to send me that kind of message, but I haven't gotten it. So I've gone ahead and sent them in. I also photo documented very carefully the near mint status of these cards front and back. Because one of the tricks I've seen them, them and other vendors use in the past is if they don't want the cards, but they don't want to break policy, they just grade them poorly and dare you to say no. Mm. Um, I think it was Foil Clan Ironworks was the last time I had that problem with them where I sent in some very near mint copies uh, that were booked maybe four or five days before it got banned, before the deck got shut down. And when it happened, I was like, oh, I guess I'm safe. I mean, this was all before. They're not going to do anything. But when they got there, they were like, oh, yeah, all these are MP. And I'm like, no, they're not. Here's the photos. And it ended up being a bit of a thing. So very curious to see what kind of grading is going to show up on these Paradox engines when they land. That's an easy card to mark. In rough shape, too, as a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, I mean, edge wear is prevalent. I'm lucky because, like, eight out of the nine are definitely very solidly near mint and have now been photo documented as such, marked number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So we'll see. They can, uh, yeah, they can um, always just play the it's it's bent, though, it's curved card. They can, yeah, they, they can and may do anything because I suspect that between the various people that have sent them Paradox Engines while they left the list open, they could be out 10 grand um, easily on all of this. So, and I don't think they want to be. So I'm curious to see what they will choose to do. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't like it when buy list vendors don't honor their buy lists, but at the same time, I absolutely don't expect them to honor buy lists on a card like that after it's been an EJH. Like that's not really fair for them to expect them to do that for you. An argument can be made that they are, especially the masterpiece versions are still collectibles and it's not clear what price the market will set on them. And they did have hours. First of all, they should have been completely on top of this. Like as soon as the, the bands hit, they should have been adjusting their buy list. That's their job. Um, so to put that on the rest of us, hmm. however, if it was my business and you tried to send me $10,000 worth of stuff that I didn't, that I wasn't sure if I could sell at the price that I was offering, then I would at minimum be looking to negotiate. So we'll see what they do. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the rub is the fact that it took them so long to do it. If it had been quickly, then I could see, you know, be like, okay, they only had it up for 20 minutes. Like that's, you know, whatever. If it's like several hours, it's like, what were you just trying to decide were you trying to play the market and then change your mind after the fact ultimately this is all why i'm uneasy with the way buy lists are set up well and if they had sent me an email yesterday like i didn't i didn't package it till today because i gave them a chance if they sent me an email and said wait 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 we don't want these i wouldn't have thought it like okay 
you know, I, I haven't gone through any effort to send these in yet. I'll swallow the loss, no problem. But if you let me go through all the steps, send you the stuff, photo document it, pay 20 or $30 to get it there to you quickly, and then you try to play games with me, and especially if they're dishonest. Like, if, they're, if they just said to me once it gets there, you know what, we really don't want these, let's talk about what we're going to do about that, then I will have a totally no problems conversation. But if somebody lies to me and tries to say that my cards are MP, then we're going to have a problem because I do not like being lied to. All right. Well, you let us know how it goes. We'll be be curious (laughs) to see what the outcome is. My my fingers are only very loosely crossed. (laughs) Yeah, best not to get your hopes up on that one. Um, So Risen Reef, 50 cents to 250. Uh, We called that one in our Discord nice and early. Cards busted. Um, people have been pointing out that it's a lot like Rogue Refiner was with the energy decks. And the question then becomes, could Risen Reef catch a ban in standard? Did Rogue Refiner get banned? I don't remember. Yes. It did get banned. Oh, it got banned with uh, Aetherworks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Risen Reef is a ridiculous draw engine. (laughs) doesn't didn't i don't think many people picked up on how crazy the card was at first because you really need to have a critical mass of playable elementals around it to make it worthwhile and in early versions of even the arena podcast which is you know one of the preeminent strategy casts that is known for flagging cards early um, at least half of that duo was not into the card at first blush and it didn't even make their top 10 cards for standard who is that cast by the Um, way that's uh, Gary T and ooh, I forget what the other guy. Did you say name is. Gary? Isn't it Gary? Jerry. 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 All right, Jerry T. Um, yeah, it's Jerry T and like Brian Kowal or something like that. Uh, Arena deck. They just recently changed their name to Arena Decklist Podcast, so all of my bookmarks are broken. Well, I mean, it's that was a really easy card to miss. I missed it because I didn't even notice that it said other elementals. I just thought it said when it comes into play, I was like, yeah, three mana, one, one, that kind of draws you a card. Like, that's fine. That's fine. It's a solid, ED, you know, a draft card to build around. But it wasn't until I went back and looked and I saw that it was somebody pointed it out and I went back and looked again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty nuts. Um, you don't have to play many Tricky. elementals after this to really get it going. <laughs> Yeah, triggering on every elemental and the fact that there's an elemental in the format that brings back elementals from the graveyard yeah. is all crazy fancy. Um, it's Brian Gottlieb, Gottlieb. the other co-host of that cast. My, my apologies, Brian. Um, all right, so the only other big uh, movers this week, Storage Matrix, both the 9th edition non-foils uh, and the Urza's Destiny non-foils uh, making big moves. The non-foil 9th version went from like two bucks to 12 bucks for like five or six hundred percent gains depending on specific pricing and the urza's destiny foils went from just around ten dollars to over a hundred yeah um and this is on the back of uh, using this in urza in edh where you can basically um storage matrix makes people choose which permanent type they want to untap during their turn but with urza you can just tap it for a blue mana and turn it off so that it doesn't impact you but affects everybody else yeah the old uh was that not stasis was it, was it winter orb that does that one of them does that uh, winter orb is one of the other uh annoying things you can do using that little trick um and now that urza has lost a, a beat with paradox engine being banned 
Um, I'm not sure it really matters much because <laughs> whether Urza is in the 99 alongside Brea or championing, like, commandering his own uh, mono blue artifact build, I don't think it's going to have any trouble comboing off with all the other nasty things it can no, do. No, I mean, the thing is, is the, the building that deck to be a combo engine, like, that's obviously what people are doing, but that's not even, like, the fun part of it. The fun part is building that deck and just doing silly stuff with it the whole time. And, like, specifically not trying to build a combo engine. Yeah, and I mean, one of the the claims against Paradox Engine, well, we'll get into that in a minute, but anyway, the final card on the list of top movers, Frog Tosser Banneret. This, sure. this makes one in a black. It makes uh, rogues and goblins one mana cheaper. Uh, foils from a dollar to almost 20 because Black Red Goblins has been using it as a two or a three of in a modern list that has multiple times 5 would in the last couple of weeks. And this was in a world of Hogak. So without Hogak, in theory, even better. Well, you know, I think that the best Goblins card is Wasteland. Um, so, And I know other players, other professionals have kind of been of the opinion that, uh, you know, you can print all the Goblins you want in Modern. You're still missing Wasteland and Rishadon Port, which is always the core of that deck. People are certainly trying to prove that wrong. Now, those MTGO 5.0 lists are a lot of fun to look through. How meaningful are they? Eh, kind of. Maybe not so much. I, again, we need we need to see some big results yeah. from the black-red list on, on a big stage. And I don't think... I, I haven't seen any pros at, at that level of play daring to bring goblins to the mix. So... Yeah, and I mean, it's a whole new world now, right? With Hogak gone, like that, that changes the equation. It's hard to imagine any professional was going to show up to modern a modern event with anything other than Hogak or a deck really, really well positioned against Hogak. I'm guessing all these guys playing goblins have been wanting to play goblins for years, and they're not just jumping on the train because it's good. Uh, but now that Hogak's gone, maybe that'll change. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to segment four, where we're going to go through the ban of restricted changes. First, we have to deal with our cards to watch. Uh, fresh back from vacation, I have plenty of ideas. Okay. Uh, so this this first one, I think, is going to be a slow burner, but it's automatic money. So you don't need to rush out and buy this right now. Our Discord does not need to try to tear the, buy, the cell walls down on this one. Uh, it was recently printed into a Challenger deck um, for Standard, so... There was an influx of supply after its initial printing in the fall set last year. The card, of course, is Arclight Phoenix, especially in a post-Hogak world. Arclight Phoenix being a constant four of in two different versions of the deck. Blue-Red and Mono-Red Phoenix are still both posting up top eights on the regular, and they were doing that even in a Hogak world. Now that they can uh, rework um, some of their flex slots and sideboard slots to not worry about graveyards quite so much. Um, I think it just makes the deck even stronger, and I expect Arclight Phoenix decks to be in Tier 1 Modern for at least the next couple of years. So current price, you can get them around 20 bucks. I think you can kind of pick and choose using coupons um, available to the pro traders or sale pricing uh, via eBay coupons or TCG discounts or whatever. Try to get your 5, 10, 15% off. But I see no reason not to load up on Arclight Phoenixes around seventeen or eighteen dollars, looking to double up into the mid thirties. This definitely looks very well positioned, even at twenty dollars. Um, you know, you're going to take a little bit of a hit when that rotates out of standard. But I'm not sure 
that it's really going to matter all that much because so many of those standard players are going to might just want to keep hold their copies for modern play. It's not like you're going to have people rushing to empty to sell their Arclight Phoenixes back, which is what's going to cause that decrease in price during rotation. It's going to be tough to print this anywhere. It's obviously a huge component of modern. And I saw somebody, one of the pros, I forget which one, complaining like, well, Hogak's gone, but they didn't get rid of like faithful suiting. So I guess I just start practicing with Arclight Phoenix, figure out who beats me and then tailor to beat that. Like that was just their default. Like this is what you play. So I think this is going to be probably the best or one of the best decks in modern for at least a little while here. Uh, which definitely has the the power behind it to push this past $20 easily. And I think Faithless Looting has a very good chance of catching a ban yeah. uh, sometime in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think everybody agrees that it should, but there seems to be a sentiment amongst the well-informed that Wizards think that thinks that that neuters too many decks. One of the problems is if a card is not broken unto itself they are motivated to kind of get rid of combo pieces that if a specific deck is doing too well as opposed to neutering the card that i think most pros agree should go like i think everybody agrees faithless looting is the quote-unquote brainstorm of the format too good to be left in place but it's played in so many different decks that they're worried about just upsetting the apple cart to too great a degree because you, you saw it in Hogak, you saw it in Is It Phoenix, Mono Red Phoenix, Boros Aggro, Mardo Pyromancer, Dredge runs it, Hollow One, Rakdos Reanimator. I mean, that might make up 30 to 35% of the meta, maybe more. And it's just too much. So what they're more likely to do is keep pruning the tree one problematic deck at a time and hoping that that's okay. Now, the thing is, if they got rid of it, I'm not even sure that Arclight Phoenix dies because I think they could just go to a worse version. Like, I, I think I suspect that the move after banning Faithless Looting is replacing it with something that's slightly worse, in which case everybody just starts playing that and the, and the meta moves on. And because so many decks would be affected by it, they would all lose a step two. So none of that worries me too much, but is worth being aware of. It's also uh, worth noting the standard rotation for Arclight's not this fall, it's the fall after. Yeah. So if the play is that you're trying to get in on a sale sometime in the next few months, sub 20, you you might just get your exit in the next six to nine months before rotation even catches up to us. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that you're going to hit your target here for, let's say, 35 in the fall, right? Like, you know, Arclight Phoenix is still viable and standard, still playable. It's got a while to be legal. The fall is typically, you know, October, November, typically a high watermark for a lot of magic cards. Um, and you'll be far enough, you know, far enough past the Hogak banning that Arclight will have established itself. If it is going to be, it will have established itself as the best or one of the best acts in modern. Um, so all the pieces might be there to, to put this on the table come October, November. So I, well, and here's the other here's the other thing. Arclight Phoenix was a big deck in standard last winter, but it's nowhere to be seen now. Like it's not even in the top fifty creatures played in the format, which is honestly appealing because that means that that might come back. Like they really only need one spell from standard, most likely to come back, right? Just one ingredient. 
I, I'm not sure, to be honest, what needs to happen. But it's if the price is being supported without standard play, then either it keeps trucking along without that and we don't really have to worry about rotation much, or it gets good in standard again while being simultaneously important in modern. It's a mythic. The challenger deck is a further down the road and we're that much closer to taking off. Regardless, it does seem well positioned here. Um, so I wouldn't fault anybody for trying to, to make a move on this one, looking for an exit somewhere in the next six months to a year. Yeah, I think you can make the argument that post Hogak, it is the most important mythic in the format. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not exactly clear what I would pick over it, so I'll, I'll give it to you for the time being. Mm-hmm. All right, what's your first pick? Uh, I'm going to start this week with uh, with a little bit of a, a sneaker here from Modern Horizons. Um, this set has been ludicrous so far. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was writing about, I started watching the Modern results and saw a season Pyromancer popping up and said, hey, start looking at this at like 12 or 13 bucks. I think this is going to show up and going to keep showing up and going to keep being relevant. Um, and, you know, today it's $27. The other card that I noticed, not quite as much as I saw with season Pyromancer, but that I was still seeing sneaking around was Hex Drinker. Hex Drinker is that one mana snake thing um, that uses the level up mechanic. It is a one mana for a two one. And then the level up is a colorless mana. So it becomes a 4-4 four, four with protection from instance and then a 6-6 six, six with pro everything. And this is one of the green mythics. Uh, pro instance at, at level 3 is pretty significant because it already gets you... It's a 4-4 four, four pro instance, which gets you out of most removal because a lot of removal is instant speed. And then if you uh, if your opponent ever lets your guard down long enough to get this to a 6-6, six, six, pro everything is just, you know, your dad. Um, sort of, I guess, Wrath of God would still kill it. Uh, so it's very apparently very potent card. We're seeing it in several builds. I've seen it in John strategies. We've seen it in a like Naya mid range deck that popped up. Uh, I think there's some like Grawl aggro builds that have been playing it. So it seems like there's a couple different decks that are taking this for a spin. Um, it's 11 bucks right now, which is pretty close to the floor for a modern horizons mythic as it is, especially playable ones. Um, I don't think there are really any playable mythics from that set that are cheaper or much cheaper than this. So it's all of Modern Horizons is looking good. The staples are all rising. We already kind of like where that set is going. Hex Drinker is seeing some significant play. Um, we already saw what happened with Caesar Season Pyromancer. I think Hex Drinker is probably on roughly the same wavelength, just probably about six-ish months behind. This is interesting to contrast with my next pick, Echo of Eons, which is also a mythic from Modern Horizons, which I you rated this like an 8 out of 10 for confidence. I give Echo of Eons like a 7, 7.5. Um, it's about $9. I'd be targeting it to go a little lower than you think Hextreaker might. You, you're thinking 10 to 25-ish. I'm thinking 9 to 15-ish. Both of these cards have already 5 would Modern Leagues. Neither seem obviously poised to enter Tier 1 status. Hexdrinker is not in the top 50 creatures in modern. Echo of Eons isn't anywhere near the top 50 spells. Um, But I think in both cases, these are just cards you have to keep your eye on. Given what we've seen with some of the rares already pushing $10 and the mythics like Season Pyromancer and uh, uh, the Knight Captain of Eos, is that correct? Ranger Ranger Captain of Eos. Ranger Captain of Eos. Um, also being in a position to push 20. 
suggests that anything that's seeing about the same level of play should probably be around the same price. So neither of these cards are things I'm running out to buy in large quantity, but they are both the kinds of things I'm keeping in carts, looking for, keeping an eye on how consistently they show up in these league lists and to what degree they seem to be catching exposure in magic content. Yeah, and I will say that I think the Aeons is a very tantalizing pick as well. Um, the 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 difference here, to me at least, is that Hex Drinker is a is a little more a, a little more straightforward of a card, right? It's hit people with creatures, um, a little more flexible, and it has shown up in. Go ahead, I would sorry. say it's it's not a combo card, which I I love me some combo cards because those are the type of cards that just burst out of nowhere. Um, and people get really excited about them. But as you've pointed out before, people generally are more likely to pick up mid-range decks, decks that attack, because they're a little easier to get into. They're a little more reliable. Like if the metagame adjusts, they seem to hold up a little better than combo pieces. I don't know. I think I think in general, if you have, I love combo deck pieces, but if I had to choose between like a deck and a new zoo, a card in a new zoo build and a card in a new combo build, the card in the new zoo build is probably a little more resilient. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I, I think Hex Drinker is better than Echo of Eon straight up because Hex Drinker I have seen, as you mentioned, in two or three different lists. Most importantly, it's being run in Jund, and Jund is looking reasonably well positioned as tier 1.5 or tier 2 um, coming out of the post-Hogak uh, world and or into the post-Hogak world. And it's also showing up in a bunch of other mid-rangey builds. So... And it doesn't surprise me that when you see it in wave one of modern decks where people are experimenting in these leagues, but now we're several weeks down the road and it's still showing up in various lists, which leads me to believe that it's not just being experimented with, it's performing and people feel like it's filling a role in the deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I wasn't trying to make it a competition. I was just sort of brainstorming well, I, there. I, I thought that the comparison is apt because they are both mythics from the same set. So I think if I had to steer people one way or the other, I like hex drinker better than echo just because uh, i think it's more likely that echo will get to 15 than hex drinker will get to 25 but in terms of which one will pass 15 first i think hex drinker is more likely yeah well why don't you give us another one because you've got plenty to choose from this next one i feel very strongly about this is a nine or a ten um unearth foils are a absolute slam dunk this is only a common in Modern Horizons, and it also showed up in M25, but the combination of those two printings suggests to me that we're not going to see it for years now. And neither of those sets were printed at anywhere near the level of a standard set, so combined, it might be the level of a standard set. And more importantly, the foils were already draining um, before Unearth became modern legal, and now that it's modern legal, they've drained very, very hard. And I think that picking up remaining foils of either one, wherever you can find them, MH1 or M25, in and around 3 to $4, um, looking to exit near 10 is going to be easy breezy. Within six months, I feel very confident you're going to be end up buy listing $7, $8, $9. Well, this seems pretty solid, if only because the uh, it's been showing up in that new Dreadhorde Arcanist modern deck. That looks that's quite, one of the that places. Quite good. Well, that's the one that I keep noticing it, um, which looks like it could really have some legs on it, uh, where you get to like you unearth your Dreadhorde Arcanist, and then your Dreadhorde Arcanist can get 
unearth something else like unearth a snapcaster type of thing like really just kind of builds on itself so i like that that synergy there um you know i, I didn't go through and pull up the supply i assume it's it's moderate-ish Whoa. pretty low and it's showing up in a whole bunch of decks it's showing up in jund where you can bring back things like hex drinker and tarmogoyf um, it's showing up in black green versions. It's showing up in Mardo Pyromancer. It's showing up in Esper Death Shadow, which looks like a deck that might be well positioned moving forward. Mm-hmm. That one's got a lot of people pretty interested um, because you get to use Ranger Captain of Eos to go find Death Shadow. Um, and then if they kill it, you just bring it back with Unearth. Uh, it's got Jace Frint's Prodigy, Snapcaster Mages, um, and runs things like Teferi Time Raveler so that they can leverage a whole bunch of interesting sorceries like Unearth. Thoughtsies, um, serum visions, etc. Well, it's uh, it's certainly more flexible of a card than I probably would have pegged it for at the outset. It certainly seems like people like more decks are playing this than I would have guessed they would. But that's still, but that's good, right? Like that's like wow, this is. I didn't think it would be that in that many strategies, but they're finding reasons to play it, which really makes it look like this is going to be a like top 15, top 25 card in modern, because even though it might not be like a four of in one deck over and over and over, lots of decks are going to be looking to play a couple copies. Yeah. And that's the thing is that when you have five or six different, say tier two lists or tier three lists that are running it, it might be the equivalent of if a tier one list was running it consistently. It's even showing up in things like SRAM, like Pure Steel Paladin, SRAM Senior Edificer decks that run a Monastery Mentor to run a couple of copies of Unearth because bringing back any of their um, the pillars of their combo strategy always involves bringing back a creature. Um, and being able to do that for one mana is very attractive. Yeah. So uh, I think if any of my picks are a slam dunk this week, this is the one. Okay. Good to know. I'll go look for some. Uh, my second pick this week is more on the EDH side of things. I always try and straddle a couple different zones for you guys. Um, it's Wayward Sawtooth out of Rise of All, uh, not Rise of All, Draws. Uh, Wayward Swordtooth out of Rivals of Ixalan. I got most of the words related to magic there. Uh, <laughs> sword tooth we got there this is the three mana dinosaur that is uh it's not horn of greed right it's exploration the three mana five five exploration you may play an additional land on each of your turns each of your turns just in case you took four or five you get two each time um and then he you know he can attack and block once you have a send but people are playing this as a three mana exploration uh if you were wondering whether exploration is good at one mana and people are buying this up in droves at three the answer is probably so the foils of this guy right now are around 15 bucks which is pretty high actually i think um given its age it's the second most popular card in rivals of ixalan by less than 100 copies just behind itali um and it's already at like i think it's like 5500 or 4500 for us and which is not a humongous number but given how relatively new ixalan is to the seen it is and given the price tag with it i think that a lot of decks are probably going back and trying to find room for this and probably not updating their list um you know i i don't exactly know how eda direct pulls their data but i'm guessing if you built your lord Wingrace deck back in january or you know before this card existed it didn't have wayward in the list so eda truck didn't didn't see it 
then this card gets printed. It goes, oh, well, it's not in this deck anymore. So it still doesn't count. Um, kind of counts against it. But the guy in real life went and added this to his Lord Windgrace deck. So there's, I think there's probably more play on this than the stats would indicate at the moment. Um, but this is also going to be popular at kitchen tables. People are going to like this effect. I don't think that, you know, they're going to drive a lot of demand for foils, but it's not non-zero. The supply is not very deep at all, especially, you know, even between the, the pre-release foils and the pack foils, it's it's not deep. So um, I start with the pre-release foils because they're a little bit cheaper if I were you. But either way, I think you're looking at eh, probably a double up here within the next six months to a year, just based on how popular this seems to be. Um, and for, for frame of reference, you can check out Oracle and Maldaya, which is certainly uh, at the moment more popular and much lower supply, but that's like a hundred and some odd dollar foil or something like that. So, uh, clearly there's, there's precedent here for these types of cards feel like we called this maybe a year ago in the eight to ten dollar range so we've already you know we can already call this a success the it abruptly jumped from about 10 to 20 under pressure uh between may and june of this year and has fallen back a bit um but as you said like since it's already been through a significant period of pressure and the usage pattern isn't likely to change any. And there's all sorts of decks that want this in EDH, including and not limited to Wind Grace. And there was a whole bunch of Lands Matters cards printed in the last year, um, a bunch in Modern Horizons. And uh, of course, uh, we had the, what was the guy in War, War of the Spark that proliferates every time you play a land or something? Oh, I don't remember any of these cards at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, Wayward Toad Tooth is a, is a slam dunk. 15 to 30, I'm not sure about the timeline on it, but I know it'll get there. It's also, because it's just rotating this fall, there's no way we see it reprinted anytime soon. Could be years before we see this in print again. Um, so, I think holding on to, you know, a double handful of these foils for a one to two year span and being pleasantly surprised if you get out earlier is just fine. Okay. Uh, and it looks like you've got, what is that, two left. Mm-hmm. So the other mythic that I think we should everybody should be keeping their finger on top of is, and this is really more of an, a play for people that have access to the European market where this card's a little cheaper right now, but Yawgmoth Thran Physician can be had over in Europe for around $13 or $14. That's a slam dunk because you're already seeing it $17, 18 19 20 depending on who you're buying it from in the US, and even that price might be fine. I've got it here assuming you're sourcing from the EU to go from 14 to 25, which I think is probably um, reasonably conservative. I think this card could in a year be a $30 card easily. It's seeing modern play. There's like Hapatra, Yawgmoth lists running around. I've seen the card in two or three different lists so far for modern. And it's a slam dunk long-term play for EDH where there's a critical mass now of minus one uh, counter effects and other things that interact with his various abilities um, that means that Yawgmoth is going to be in demand for quite some time. Oh my god. There is a whole... A deer just walked past my window, like eight feet away from me. <laughs> and then Pretty and then jumped over my four-foot fence like it's not even there. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to like... That was just surprising. I it's just okay. kind of like leaned over and I'm like, what? <laughs> hey, ha- hashtag deer things. No big... We had we had to take a brief pause there while I waited for my dog to stop 
barking at that deer. Um, yeah, Yogmoth is great. Uh, he, I've been seeing him pop up in some of these modern decks. I saw the one with Hapatra, with you know the, that modern MCQ earlier, which was really surprising. Did, would not have expected that. He's going to be a really popular casual card uh, and EDH card, EDH especially. Um, I, I'm anticipating the, the proliferate on a stick, the fact that you can pair him with things like Blood Artists and those types of effects and sort of just keep going. Um, and r- that's pretty absurd there. Uh, there's just a lot of tools to make him do a lot of work. And I think Urza caught the... People got more excited about Urza right away because it, he looked better. Um, but I think Yogmoth's power is is legitimate. It's just a little harder to see on the card. So you, you, you know, you know what text I bet most people have completely not clocked is even on it. The first line: protection from humans. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess that ninety percent of Magic players don't realize that's even on the card. So, like, humans can run their their cards into the sky all day and just keep dying. Um. The list that I think is tightest uh, that features it as a two of is the double Pyromancer uh, deck. Mardu Pyromancer's newest incarnation with four young Pyromancer, four seasoned Pyromancer, two Yogmoth, and then the usual spell suite of Faithless Looting, Fatal Push, Inquisition, Lightning Bolt, Thoughtseize, Unearth, Lingering Souls, Smiting Helix, and Nile Spellbomb. Um, there's some flex spots in there that look like they can get rearranged given that Hogak's out of the format now. Um, although they do still need to deal with Dredge, which may... Uh, and I have seen Hogak variants already 5-0-ing without <laughs> Alter and Bridge, so it's not clear that Hogak is completely off the table. Oh, I don't think so um, at all. Uh, but yeah, Yogmoth. Uh, I think the combination of modern and smattering of modern play and consistent EDH play is going to get this to 25 or 30, say in a year. Yeah, you know, I, I'm that, that time frame sounds reasonable. I'm inclined to say it'll be less than that because all of our picks are always seem to be faster than we think they will be. Um, but yeah, he, he's pretty solid for sure. Um, so this next one I find particularly confusing given current circumstances. Made a lot of sense six months ago. Now, not so much. Reality Smasher foils should not be available at eight to ten dollars. Not only have Eldrazi never really gone away, but Eldrazi Tron was doing performing just fine in the world of Hogak, including major performances uh, in the, uh, what was it, the Red Bull Cup this weekend uh, over in Europe. They had several qualifiers for the Red Bull series that was pulled together over there. It was called the, one second, do-do-do-do. I watched it all weekend on Twitch. You would think I would know the name, but they always name them so generically. Red Bull Untapped Qualifiers was the series, and there was one in Florence and one in Brussels. The one in Florence featured an Eldrazi Tron list uh, in the top eight, and the Modern Challenge this weekend on Magic Online had one, two, three, four Eldrazi Tron lists in their top ten, including one that... Uh, went 8-0 and won the event. 
Um, these lists are a mashup, of course, between Tron elements and Eldrazi Winter elements. So you have three Walking Ballista, four Matter Reshaper, four Thought Not Seer, four Reality Smasher, two Endbringer, four Karn the Great Creator, two Dismember, two All is Dust, four Chalice of the Void, four Expedition Map, three Mindstone, and then in the lands, notably two Blast Zone. And then a whole bunch of toolbox elements in the sideboard. And the thing about these decks is Karn the Great Creator gives them the toolbox angle. The Eldrazi leveraging Eldrazi Temple allows them to get ahead on uh, the mana curve. And of course the Tron lands let them generate a ridiculous amount of mana production versus other decks. Then they have the Chalice of the Void side of things to stop all the decks that are trying to cast things for free or cast them on one. And all of that adds up to a deck that is probably in no danger of catching a ban of any kind. The closest option is probably Microsynth Lattice with uh, Karn the Great Creator, which may or may not be a problem at some point in modern. Um, certainly very strong. But the thing is that Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher are now back to both being played as four ofs, whereas at one point these decks were in a such, a, such a configuration that they had dropped Reality Smasher almost entirely and Thought Not Seer was still a three or a four of. Um, now we're seeing them neck and neck at four, four of each. They are both rares from the same set, Oath of the Gatewatch, which is a few years back now. So a modern playable foil rare in a tier 1.5 or tier 1 arguably deck should probably not be sub $10 for very long. I, I'm I'm almost always on board with Eldrazi cards. Um these are, you know, from Oath of the Gatewatch are really starting to age now. Foils are 10 bucks. I would have thought they were 20 already if you had asked. Yep. This keeps doing well. Uh, Hogak, one of the de- uh, very fast deck is gone. Top 20. I really, I got, I don't have a lot to add. You know, you really hit all the important parts, except for that. I, I think this is, this is definitely uh, a very appealing card. And I, I've got to have some of these. If I don't, I should rectify that. But it is a it is a cool card, um, and really a linchpin of any Eldrazi shenanigans. And if we ever get any Eldrazi back, that just reopens the floodgates entirely in modern. The the other way to look at it is that according to Magic Online results, as reported on Goldfish, Thought Not Seer is the twelfth most played creature in modern. Nine percent of all decks, three point six copies per deck. And Reality Smasher is not far behind. Six per- only 6% of decks, but at a full 4.0 copies. When you play it, you're playing 4 now. Which is, as I said, not where we were 6 months ago. So I could easily see these now finally going 10 to 20 in the next 6 months as people pivot and start playing this deck more. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's some good stuff, man. Okay. All right, segment three wraps up our picks of the week. Yeah, segment three, our metagame we can review. Um, we've got a MTGO Modern MCQ hot off the presses here. I think these were posted today. Um, some real wild stuff. I mean, the top of the page is a Naya mid-range Naya build. It's got a Gideon Blackblade in it, a Chandra Torture Defiance <laughs> for the yeah. Hex Drinkers. We got Knight of the yeah. Reliquary coming back. There's those season <laughs> Pyromancers we talked about. Monotith in there. Like, really? And, and, you know, I see, Three copies of Monotith. Yeah, I see Monotith, and I have to wonder if that's a Hogot card, like the counter altars. Uh, because if you know, as you go through this list, you're going to see a lot of Nile spell bombs in the main deck, and it's definitely people trying to beat Hogak. 
Yeah, you get you, you should already be taking these deck dumps with a grain of salt. They are more about early signaling than they are anything else. Um, but given that we just caught a ban and some of these decks are probably uh, league decks from the weekend before the ban, you have to wonder how much of it is was warped against Hogak and may now shift. Yes, I think that that's absolutely going on. And again, that's what like all the graveyard hate in the main decks is, is that's a, a Hogak thing. And what I am curious how many of these strategies are actually going to be very good, but have been held at bay by the existence of Hogak or were only be good because Hogak was good. Um, time will tell on that one. Like, do you really think Goblin was Goblins held back by Hogak or is it made good by the existence of Hogak? I don't Hogak, know. Hogak, I think, had two main impacts on the format. One was setting a very quick clock, being another deck that could kill very easily on turn two or three. Um, and then the other was that it warped sideboards very heavily towards Graveyard Hate. And in fact, in the results from the major tournaments this weekend, Hogak did well, but didn't dominate. Um, most of the decision uh, matrix around getting rid of it seemed to be preemptive based on it, the percentage, the win percentage and percentage of the metagame it was com- uh, comprising on Magic Online. So it wasn't that it was that the format couldn't uh, work against it because I think that they relatively successfully did that. I think if they had left things alone, the format just would have been more narrow because so many sideboard slots and even main deck slots were being forced to be surgical extractions and ley line of the void and so forth. And so it's just a healthier format to get it out of the way. And the thing is, as I said earlier, Hogak lists are still popping up. There's already some 5-0 lists that don't use altar and bridge. So we're not, it's not clear that we're hundred percent done with Hogak and dredge was still there. You still have hollow one strategies. So it's not like the graveyard is going any, anywhere in modern. No, not at all. And I think Hogak is going to continue to be a, a component of modern, maybe not the best card in modern, but at least available. I also think altar of dementia has a better shot than most other cards of getting banned in modern that card is not fair whatsoever and the only reason that it might survive is because it's missing enough degenerate pieces to really push it over the edge but like the fact that it already got bridge from below banned is pretty they will make a mistake and print something in the next couple of years that will reactivate alter in modern and in the meantime it's still an excellent card in edh and uh, the number of foils floating around to service that market has already been drained hard. And and while some of them will flow back in from modern decks and drive the price down, there's probably a uh, an entry point now on Cliff's pick that will be worth considering in the near future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm 100% on that page. I think in probably about a month-ish, two months, if Alter isn't all over the isn't still in constant rotation in modern it'll be worth going back to that well because uh someone will put together the pieces to to make that work so here's the esper list one of the esper lists that keeps popping up with five o's that just seems to not care what else is going on in the format this is teferi two teferi time raveler three jace friends prodigy four monastery mentor four snapcaster mage four inquisition of kozilek four serum visions two thoughtsies three unearth my aforementioned pick 
Four Fatal Push, two Force Negation, four Opt, two Path to Exile, one Spell Pierce, two Surgical Extraction. That looks like a professional list. Like, <laughs> that That looks like a fairly tight 60 that does, that in the hands of a skilled player has a decent chance of taking down an FNM on any given week. That's, that is a list. I mean, I agree. I agree. Strong cards, strong cards. Every card in this list ranks as a 9 to a 10 on the power level. Yeah. Scale for modern. Not hard to do that these days. There's, there's really nothing loose is what I'm saying. Like You can argue over how many slots for each card, given the meta and so forth, but hard to argue against any of these being modern playable cards. Yeah, I'm, I'm browsing through here. There's one down here, three Chandra Torture Defiance, four Karns. So you've got the Karn package. Uh, Rabble Master and Legion War Boss, which is like Rabble Master Light, with Anger the God's Main. It's got four Blood Moons. It's got one Liquid Metal Coating, along with the four Chalices and some Asnarian Bridges. That's a fun little red control back there. Karn. I, a Karn is very tempting as a pick to me. Karn the Great Creator. I'm not at the moment, but he's tempting. Honestly, I think that, that the Mycosynthlatus-Karn combo might get the axe at some point. I don't think Wizards is wild about the way people are, are putting that into just about anything that plans on paying for mana in a game. The thing is, even if they get rid of it, it doesn't in any way stop Karn from getting played because he also fulfills a variety of other roles. He um, is a walking stony silence, right? So the there's that ability. There's also him be still being able to toolbox for all sorts of other things that you might want to be bringing into play, whether it's a Nile spell bomb or an ensnaring bridge or whatever. So... I'm pretty deep on Karn the Great Creator and intend to make a whole bunch of money on that card. Here's a 5-0 list with Hogak that does not run the aforementioned cards, just as an example. Liliana the Last Hope, 2 Nile Spellbomb, 3 Carrion Feeder, 3 Crypt Breaker, 4 Gravecrawler, 4 Hogak, 4 Stitcher Supplier, and then in place of Altar and Bridge, you have 4 Tide Hollow Scholar and 4 Wayward Servant. So it's a very zombie-focused version of Hogak that... Uh, because Wayward Servant says, whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So you're basically just looking to put zombies in and out of play a whole bunch of times. And Hogak is just kind of like a different angle of attack if that doesn't work out. Yeah, it's just it's like if you're going through all the work to play Drudge cards, it costs you nothing to include him. Like he's at, he's he's not necessarily worthy of a slot in a deck that doesn't want him you know but if you're already going through the work to do graveyard shenanigans why wouldn't you toss him in because he's just going to be like a free 8-8 trample the other the other card is that's notable here is two legions end which is that new black path to, path to exile variant for one and a black i think it's a sorcery um and it exiles uh, all copies of a creature that's two casting costs or less hmm Okay. Do you think that's going to be... I, I, I see that as being sort of a role player rather than a... Here and there. Yeah, a here and there type of thing. Um, I noticed that a Cheerios did make the list here. Yep. Uh, further down the page um, with the monastery, with the four pure steel, four SRAM uh, unearths for you there. You, I can tell you I've been selling a lot of monastery mentors in and around $40. Big, big money being made for those of us that stocked up on 50 or 60 copies of 10 bucks. 
That's uh, it's a good chunk of change. Yep. Th- there's a fun zoo deck down here. It's got it's a tribal flames deck. Um, so it's got bolts, helixes, tribal flames. Um, so it's got this is a this is a good combo: bloodbraid elf, lightning skeletal, and mantis rider are kind yeah, of like yeah. your top. I knew, ad. I knew you were gonna flag that. I was like mantis rider and lightning skeletal. That mana base must be a mess. I mean. If you're if you're playing Bloodbraid Elf, like those are two sicko mode three drops to cascade into, especially since they both have haste. Yeah, um, that's that's a pretty nutty list. Lightning Skeletal is looking like it's going to do some work here in modern for sure. Copies and out there, it, it almost made my list this week. There are copies out there still around two dollars and fifty cents, and I think they're going to double. Yeah, the hard part is yeah that's that's what I was going to go or I was going to go with that. Is the hard part is what is the your intended out on this and it's hard to see it much more than like six bucks probably because i think there's a separate list i don't think it's the one you're talking about that has the elemental uh yeah the dreadful uh, can't or reviver for yeah that and they're playing four ball lightning for lightning skeletal i mean that's yes like timmy's wet dream <laughs> yeah that guy went all in on the on play the elementals with one toughness thing yeah uh and I, I do remember looking at that i'm like okay well it's the time to pick ball lightning uh which one of the 14 different printings would you like to invest in sorry 14 foil printings there's also 40 non-foil printings sure uh, so here, here's the 5 list with yagmoth Thrand physician uh four birds of paradise blood artist two carrion feeder eternal witness three giralf's messenger three hapatra mm-hmm. vizier of poisons three kitchen finks liliana heretical healer one Malira Silvok Outcast, two Phantasmal Image, one Plague Engineer, one Reclamation Sage, three Stranglerroot Geist, three Yogmoth, one Xylid Jailer, which I think they can dump without Hogak Round, three Young Wolf, three Elders Revolution, three Neoform. Wow. Yeah. That deck is. I had to stop and read that one through. There's so a just lot like of combos see all the in pieces. It, 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 that one is really weird because it has non bows too. Because it's got Malira, but it's also got um, you, you with Malira in play. You can't put counters back on your Dralls Messenger in order to kind of revive him. So once Malira is in play, like your Messenger is going to die because you can't save him anymore. You can't add the minus one minus one counter to cancel the plus one plus one and keep him going. So that one looks like it's quite a quite a showing there <laughs> all right so we've also got uh, a fairy ninja variant mm-hmm. this is like an updated fairies list fairy seer another common out of modern horizons right fallen shinobi a rare out of modern horizons ingenious infiltrator uncommon modern horizons miss syndicate naga the same this list was also featured in the red bull event this weekend and had a very unfortunate showing against a Hogak list where the famous quote from the, from the commentator was it's a very brave man that can put a miss syndicate syndicate Naga into play on turn three in modern facing Hogak. <laughs> <laughs> and they just promptly died. Yeah. Uh, four spell stutter sprite, three Vendillion click collective brutality, inquisition, thoughts, ease, cryptic command, fatal push, go for the throat, Nile spell bomb and three bitter blossom. Fun list really smells like F and M. Do you see this? Uh, I've seen this a couple times now. I only saw it once here in this list. 
but that's kind of intentional because they curate this information. But we've seen this a couple times now, this God Pharaoh's gift list. Yep. With um, Goblin Engineer. Uh, no, Shroom the Hedgeman, Hedgeman uh, which is the uh, like 88 artifact bur- or artifact sphinx that when it comes into play, you reanimate an artifact. So you, and it's a legendary, so you Goryo's Vengeance, the sphinx in the play, which when it comes into play reanimates a graveyard and you reanimate God Pharaoh gift and then you go to combat and now you're God Pharaoh gifting, which is the, um, for everyone who doesn't remember standard from Amonkhet, uh, you know, a year ago, this is where you exile a creature from your graveyard and then make a 4-4 copy of it. So they're getting back uh, Jace Rin's Prodigy, which you, because it'll come back as a 4-4 with haste. And then because you're dumping cards into your graveyard, you can then uh, flip it into the Planeswalker immediately. So you get a permanent Jace Planeswalker off of it. They're playing Obsidat, which as far as the Ghost Council, the 5-5 one that was really big back, yep. uh, way back in standard. As far as I can tell, this doesn't do anything too tricky because it's still a token. So you're not going to get it back, but you do get a 4-4 four, four that when it comes into play, they lose two, you gain two. Um, there's got Tide Hollow Scholars to eat some of the cards in their hand. So there's some there's some fun little action going on here. They have Hadron Crab to kind of speed things up. Uh, they have Deputy Detention. So uh, again, this isn't the first time we've seen this in one of these lists. I'm not sure what I love out of this as like the direction you, you take if you're trying to move in on it. Um, it's possible it's Collective Brutality. I don't think it's Shroom. There's not quite enough of them. Um, I don't think it's Obsidats either. If it's anything, it's probably Vryn's Prodigy, uh, which feels a little weird to say because he's kind of been less popular and modern than you know than we might have hoped for. Um, in fact, uh, and I've still got a couple foils floating around, so I, I would like to see it be him. Uh, so I guess I, I hope this deck is good. Jason's Prodigy is play- being played in at least three different lists right now, though. It's also showing up in Death Shadow variants and in the Esper Mentor builds. Yeah, he's definitely getting some reps. It's just not quite as much as we were hoping for. We need to see some big event top eights. I mean, there's crashing footfalls 5-0-ing again this week. There's more of this lightning skeletal nonsense that uses Sahili Sublime, Sublime Artificer. There's a Grixis Planeswalker build that has Jace the Mind Sculptor, Liliana Last Hope, Narset Parter of Veils, and Nicol Bolas Dragon God that 5-0'd. They were running Angraft's Rampage out of, Wards, out of War of the Spark. Um, Brennan six all over the place. Uh, oh yeah, that 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 was one of your picks last week, right? Uh, yeah, if it wasn't last week, it was the week before. I liked the foils at like four. Oh no, I wanted to pick the foils, but it was uh, they're like already two hundred dollars. Yeah, they're crazy. So I could not pick them. Yeah, I think you said yeah, it was like last week. Non foils at forty five. Yeah, yeah. To it's going to get there. The, the Renan six is much better than people thought. And I just love how this is playing out. It's basically exactly what we said. People are going to, people thought it was a commander set. It's not, it's a modern set that also has much like cards that are also good in commander. Cause they're of high enough power level to be good everywhere. And almost everything that we've made money on so far from this set was underestimated up front. And please just keep printing modern horizon sets every six months. It'll just be amazing. It's uh, so on TCG player run in six is up to 55. Yeah. So if you bought at 45, you're already up 10 bucks. Uh, that's assuming, of course, that 
it's selling at 55 but i have a feeling it is and you're not guaranteed one per box it's a mythic not a rare so you can't just crack a box or two and and put together your play sets you're gonna have to buy singles from somebody all right, so at the Red Bull Untapped Qualifiers, which were feeder tournaments for a bigger event that Red Bull's uh, running later this year, it was a combination of draft and modern play, I believe. And the one in Florence, we had Is It Phoenix, Devoted Karn, Mono Red Prowess, Devoted Vizier, Blue White Control, two Bridgevine decks, and Eldrazi Tron in the top eight. So Hogak didn't really show up um, in the top eight there in great quantity. In the other one in Brussels, it certainly did. It was Jund that won it, uh, and then there was a Jund deck, three Hogak decks, two blue-white control, and a blue-red Phoenix. And I suspect that these lists are much more realistic in terms of what we're going to be seeing in top eights moving forward in modern, minus Hogak, of course. Modern challenge was Eldrazi Tron, as I mentioned earlier. Humans, Bant Infect, Jund, two more Eldrazi Tron. Uh, a pretty crazy four-color list. Is it Phoenix, Blue-White Control, and another Eldrazi Tron? That seems to me to be where we stand in the meta. There are something like 10 or 12 decks that can top eight at any given time. But if I had to pick what is likely to dominate at the top end, I would say that Is it Phoenix, Blue-White Control, Eldrazi Tron, and Humans seem to be the best positioned right now. Those are definitely the the top four decks. I wonder if they're all the top four equally. Uh, Arclight Phoenix certainly seems to be sort of the the leader of the pack here. It feels like the rest are kind of struggling to keep up. Um, It's hard to say exactly how the metagame is going to shift with Hogak's departure, but I do think that my suspicion is it will be less in that the archetypes will change significantly and more that the main decks and sideboards will shift. Um, because basically everyone had to reduce or, or, or dedicate 10% of their deck space dealing with the graveyards. But other than that, they just kept playing roughly the same game. Um, so as much as it, as fun as it would be to be like, wow, after Hogak, Hogak left, like, you know, this deck shot up in popularity and this one got terrible. That's probably not going to happen. I think these four will stay right where they roughly are. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard for things to challenge these for more than a week or two i think you're gonna see all sorts of decks flit in and out of the top eight but these the lists in question are adaptable enough and in the case of phoenix there's also the mono red version of phoenix and between it and the blue red version it might you might be able to make an argument at some point that one or the other is definitely better which might eliminate the the alternative but i find it i'd be very hard pressed to be convinced that Phoenix could be eliminated from the format, especially if one of the major graveyard decks that had people running main deck graveyard hate, like people were running two rest in peace main and surgical distractions main and Leyline in the voids main. If that, if that trend recedes a bit, then, you know, your arc lights being in your graveyard long enough to do things and pop them back out is that much more likely. And the deck just gets reinforced a little bit. I mean, if anything, Arclight seems like it might get better or like like significantly better because people were main decking graveyard hate because of Hogak and Arclight, but now Arclight's going to be gone. 
or Sorry, now Hogarth's going to be gone. So if graveyard gone. hate will recede, well, right, right. We're kind of assuming at least at the outset that it will be gone. Uh, it will recede significantly. Graveyard hate will be less common in main decks, which now makes uh, Phoenix decks better because people are running less of that. Like I, I think what to cap it on Hogak. I think that Hogak is still a deck and probably has a few different ways to build around it. And it's just a playable card in a bunch of tier two to tier point two point five strategies instead of an obvious tier one dominant force. So Arc Light catching some splash damage, depend how long that goes on depends on whether Dredge and Hollow One and some variant on Hogak step in to fill the void and keep graveyards front and center is something that needs to be dealt with. Um, to whatever extent that is not happening, if the format rotates a little closer towards fair decks, you know, your Mardu Pyromancers, your um, Vizier of Remedies style decks, using stuff with Neoform or other weird combos, Affinity, Jund, etc., then the format has to, you know, deal with different elements. Um yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the the bannings and unbannings this week. Um, I'm sure we can both agree Hogak probably caught a ban, I mean, at least from my perspective. I think it's a little premature, but I have no reason to, to fight it. Even though I got caught holding, I don't even want to know how many Hogaks, um, because I was way out in front of the crowd pretty early on that. I probably bought 40 or 50 like un- under two dollars or something and didn't sell a single copy because it all landed just after i had got my last package from the u.s and just before i left for europe so rather than uh force one of my family members to <laughs> dig through a bunch of patch a bunch of uh, packages and buy listen for me or- and so forth i just sucked it up and gonna get nailed um, I can probably still sell Hogax at a profit, but I've certainly missed some serious opportunity cost here. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the cost of walking away from this, essentially. Like, it's un- it's it's kind of annoying, but that's what happens in this market, in this industry, when you take a break, especially if you're dealing well, with stuff when that's you're more part- temperamental. And when you're part-time. Like, when this is a hobby and not a business, Um and you don't have staff to deal with those kind of things for you. You know, right. you've, got to, you've got to accept that that's going to occasionally be the case in the same way that occasionally if you don't track shipments, they're going to get lost, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was actually, it actually cost me a lot more money that they banned Paradox Engine and EDH because I was holding everything from regular copies to Japanese foils, Russian foils, and MPS copies. And the total inventory value was probably something like two grand. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I got to be honest. That's 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 unfortunate for you. Uh, I think Paradox Engine's a savage. And that being said, I'm not even you know I'm not upset or stressed about it. First of all, there's a we'll see what happens with Card Kingdom accepting the masterpieces. If they do, I'll have nothing to complain about. And I've already made a ton of money on this card, like thousands. So if I get stuck holding the last twenty percent of my inventory, that's fine. Um, the that being said, I don't think the card should... I don't think I agree with any of the EDH changes. Um, I think Paradox Engine... Don't agree Engine, with any of them. Okay. No, I think I think the Paradox Engine is at the top of the power band for EDH, but uh, is played in fairly specific decks. I don't think it's the kind of card that is just broken everywhere. 
it's bro it, it's you might not even see it in your meta um depending on what decks people are playing and so i mean if people are playing Brea or urza or something it's going to pop up and but i think that it's a, a card that is it's a permanent type that's easily dealt with um and there are, you can counter it you can destroy it you can close down the stack so that they can't combo off you can gang up on the person which i think is like my main counter to almost anything this committee seems to want to do is that if somebody's just being a dick and bringing broken ass decks that keep making us shuffle then you just wreck them <laughs> like that to me that is the the surest way to manicure your local meta is just to make clear to people what is acceptable and not acceptable i have no problem with people playing paradox engine and it's never been a problem in any game i've ever seen it show up because people have built have fooled around with it in a way that was more cute than powerful now i'm gonna jump in here and say that i haven't experienced that either but i have a suspicion that you and i aren't the ones that are have suffered under paradox engine because we cultivate a play group uh and if you don't want to deal with that you kind of just say okay either stop bringing this card or we're just going to beat you up every time you play it and you kind of weed it out yourself if you're playing a lot of commander at your like FNM in your local game store, which I think a, a lot of people do, you and I don't, I don't think set that time aside, but people definitely do that. Um, you know, they go to their Tuesday night commander, or whatever. It's a little harder for this. The store is not going to make up an artificial ban list. Most likely that's kind of a messy solution. And sure you can beat up on the guy who puts it in his deck, but you know, if there's like, what if two people have it in their decks now, suddenly it's like two on two in that regard. And so I just, I'm not saying I'm on board with having gotten rid of paradox engine. I could definitely see the argument for having left it, but the like this is how you deal you know you deal with it socially only works at the kitchen table level it doesn't work at the local game store level i'm not here's the thing i don't think we have enough information to know what to what extent it was a problem and more importantly i don't think the committee has the info (laughs) i i think the committee is operating just as anecdotally as we would be um and i think that's the problem there are no good publicly available stat sources on EDH play because there's literally no platform that's collecting that data. What happens at the kitchen table or even at your local game store in terms of EDH is all anecdotal. And I have a strong suspicion that the people calling the shots, Sheldon Menory being chief among them, um, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that he's the kind of person that uh, that reacts to anecdotal evidence and also to, you know, his own play experiences. So I don't think Paradox Engine needed the axe. I think it could have easily been handled within people's local situations. And I think the other shifts are equally odd. Like Painter's Servant can set up some fun cutesy stuff, but can also be utterly broken in Commander. I don't think it's any less broken and arguably it takes less mana to go off than paradox engine does. So that was odd to me. Iona is obviously uh, an oppressive card in a certain scenario facing a certain set of decks across from it, but it's also just a creature that somebody should have a kill spell ready to handle. Yeah. The, the argument for that one was basically that 
it didn't seem to be that she was overpowered necessarily or that she was disruptive, but rather that she just ever, there was never a situation where people were really happy to have that card in play. Like either somebody has the answer or the game ends almost like really quickly or people get locked out of playing magic. So it's just, it generates bad, nothing but bad experiences essentially, which yeah, I can kind of see that, right? The whole, the, the card is specifically like no one else gets to play magic or I'm trying to prevent you from playing magic. So I kind of get it. I I, I don't I, think it was ever I bad agree. enough in any of my games, but. I, I agree with all of that, but I think the argument Josh Lee Kwai was making on Command Zone uh, in their kind of post-banning discussion post that they put on YouTube yesterday was the same way I feel, which is, okay, sh- yeah, it's a shit card to play against, but we can name 40 other cards in the format that are of our equal level. Are we banning all of them? Yeah. And if we're not, why are we picking this one specifically? Like, yeah, I, I think the, an argument can be made for instead of banning cards in EDH, I would, I would say that you label cards competitive and casual, and you can put a list of problematic cards together. That's maybe 50 or a hundred deep. And you just say, these are cards that other people might not super enjoy playing against. And then you just set up a conversation point for P- for play groups to rotate, pivot around where they can go. Yeah. I, I know you love playing that paradox engine card, but maybe you have or have not heard that it's on the problematic list and here's why. And let's talk about that a little bit so that maybe you can either retune your deck or maybe, you know, not play that deck all the time. Because we don't really mind, you know, shuffling up on turn 15, but shuffling up on turn four is not so awesome. I I don't feel like Commander is the kind of format that may even need a ban list per se, um, so much as it needs, you know, talking points. So I don't really, it doesn't really, really matter to me, like, even though I lost a significant chunk of money here off the Paradox Engines. Um but I just I think it sets a very weird precedent. And now heading into future bandless announcements, whereas before we weren't really even talking about what might show up from the commander side of things, now we certainly will be. <laughs> now anything that looks like it's in danger um, of going on or off for, you know, whatever reason will will suddenly be something you have to think about. Well, I feel, I mean, to that point, I feel like I've, we've always sort of been aware of that. There's a short list of cards in Commander that you are aware of that could get unbanned. And similarly, you know what the most problematic cards are. I mean, everyone's been talking about Dead Eye Navigator since it was printed. Um, you know, I, I think that you probably have the right idea there when you talk about changing the ban list concept. Um, it makes a lot of sense in very competitive formats, but in a format that's primarily social, the lists should be a, a, a list identifying cards that may not create play experiences you want associated with that format should also probably be designed to be social. And the idea of, of I could see splitting it of having a true ban list, right? These are cards that like aren't legal in EDH, and that would be a pretty short list. Um, you know, probably your power, uh, and you know, whatever else that, that kind of dumb stuff. Um, and on although honestly, the power is probably, probably fine because you assume, assuming that you have a separate list for like dual commander, essentially like heads up competitive EDH, set that aside. If your EDH ban list is only your EDH lists 
are only for like the social experience games. You can probably leave power on there because no one's Mox Ruby is ruining a game of EDH and it's fun to have a place to cast that card since you don't get to very often. Um, you could probably, you know, you could build a list of the short cards that are really, truly not healthy. We just, you know, you can still play with these at your kitchen table if you want to, but like you can't walk into a GP and play with these cards. And then you can also have your, uh, like you said, you know, a problematic or, you know, you can have your your casual and your competitive split type of thing. And you can say, OK, your Paradox Engine is is a competitive tier card and your Primeval Titans are a competitive tier and your group can decide which, if any of these they want to play with. And, you know, we recommend at home you play with whatever ones you want, but we're going to tell our local stores to either restrict themselves to casual level or include competitive level cards to kind of give them an even split. Well, I mean, pic- picture um, a world where you're signing up for pods on the basis of fun or competitive. Yeah. There's, there's reason yeah. for wizards to like this concept. One of the reasons it's, is that they, they end up building at least two decks. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's you, you, you're right. You get to go with that direction. You get to build your casual and your competitive, but they don't have a problem with EDH players building enough decks right now, but you would have a problem with splinter splintering player bases and causing in some division. of the, pla- in some of the places that have, that have trouble getting a pod off in the first place. Sure. Yeah. So I, 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 I appreciate the challenge wizards faces on this. Uh, well, I mean, but I, I do I, think that there's a space I, worth exploring there. I, I will say I have no, I don't understand at all why there's still an independent, independent committee for EDH. The wizards should just drop the hammer, take it over and manicure it themselves. They're fully capable of doing it. I, I don't see any special skills or talents in the current uh, committee, even though they've expanded it to include many notable and likable personalities who have deep, uh, format knowledge i think all of that applies to plenty of wizards employees too i i don't think that like rachel plus josh lee Kwai plus saffron etc is any better than a pile of watsy people doing the same work um and i just i the, if you were making the decision fresh today there's no question in my mind that there would be no external committee oh the, the only reason it exists is because it was sheldon's baby and at the time that they brought Commander into the fold, they wanted to let it keep that sort of community feel before they realized that it was going to be their biggest avenue for selling cards. Uh, and I agree completely that like were they to do it over again, there's no way they would do it this way. And I think adding those those particular people into the equation is their way of, of trying to show that it's still a community-run format, but giving them a little bit more control over it um yeah i I don't know i think eventually sheldon's gonna walk away and that's when it will be fully absorbed into the wizard's structure possibly the i mean people they will argue from the committee's perspective that that their ban list is not official that it is a recommendation and your playgroup can do whatever you want but i think that the way that it's interpreted is very different i think people treat it because it's talked about as a banned and restricted list um alongside all the ones for other formats that are enforced it is there's not much teeth in the argument that you can do what you want i think that going the competitive versus fun list route would be more effective and there there certainly is something to be said like i don't think anybody has to cry for me for what i'm losing on paradox engine but think of the people that bought like more than a dozen masterpiece copies from me over the last six months in the 120 to 180 dollar range that can't play them now 
that's not cool. <laughs> it's, it's not just a standard playset of $20 total value we're talking about. We're talking about masterpieces that just got invalidated, like that were pushing 200 to 250. Mm-hmm. That, that's, and somebody posted something on Twitter about they thought like 600,000 worth of value got wiped. Not even close. Keep in mind, 10,000 plus copies of the masterpiece Kaladesh Inventions, maybe as many as 20,000. So that's of each card. So that's 10,000 by 200 just for the masterpiece copies of Paradox Engine. So we're talking about like millions of dollars. And that's just the masterpieces. Never mind you the multiple languages worth of foils and non-foils and promo foils of the pack version of, of Paradox Engine. You're talking about something like $10 million worth of value that got wiped off the map on that announcement. And that's totally non-trivial. That's a chunk of change. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's fair too. Which and and you know having that split between casual and competitive softens that blow significantly. And and, um, I, and and I think an argument can be made that in in some cases, for instance, value also got wiped off, wiped off the board from bridge from below. You know, fortunately, I had buy listed all of mine to CK already long before um, because it smelled like a ban was coming. Um, but for people that didn't they may see balancing upside in other cards they're holding, for instance, from Modern Horizons, that will offset that. So Hogak being knocked off the podium may make the format, whatever, 6% more diverse or something. And it's not going to change everything overnight, but it may make a bunch of other cards playable that will make you money instead. So collections do ebb and flow. But I think something like the Paradox Engine, you know, in a format as big as EDH, that where there's fifty to sixty commanders you're going to see on any given in any given pod, um, it doesn't really make doesn't really have that kind of uh, echoing impact that might balance it off. It's just money wiped off the board. It, it's 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 a messy situation, uh, and I feel like Wizards has got they wouldn't have done any of this the way they did it. It's at the outset. It feels like they've tried to make the best decision they could while maintaining the status quo as best as they could at each inter at each angle here. Um, so I wouldn't be su- surprised to see changes in how all of this is organized down the road. All right, I've got I've got a capper for you. But well, I, I guess my my last my last thought here is. These 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 will continue to occur. It's always wise to keep these in mind, um, to keep the EDH ban list in mind, um, not only for cards that you're worried about getting banned, but to know which cards might get unbanned. And really, I think Painter Servant is an excellent example of knowing which cards could possibly get unbanned and knowing which cards are good if it gets unbanned. And knowing that before the announcement, because Painter Servant got unbanned, so everyone out, went out and bought Painter Servant. And then everyone took two seconds to, oh yeah, Grindstone. Everyone went and bought Grindstone. But then where do you go from there, right? Like Painter Servants Unbanned, well, what else is good? What does that change? And you're stuck there trying to figure this out as the minutes tick by. And a couple people remembered Una. 
Uh, and there were one or two other cards that escaped me that people remembered. But having that sort of that bench available to you that that you know, so like, oh, Earthcraft got banned. I don't know. I don't remember if Earthcraft was banned or not in modern. Earthcraft is or in EDH. Earthcraft got banned. Here's what I have to go buy if that happens. Here's my you know second through fifth picks. Um, because other people aren't going to have those nearly as ready as you are. And that's where you're really going to get paid because you're still going to find them cheap and the vendors aren't likely to cancel them as quickly. I, I think the the level one is be up and ready to respond during banned and restricted announcements. <laughs> Skipping them is costly. Um, and even being a few hours behind uh, probably matters. All right. So I got a capper for you. You had, you're, you're facing the following options to drop into a cart tonight. Which do you like better? Hogak at five bucks versus Unsettled Mariner at five bucks versus Goblin Engineer at four dollars. Goblin Engineer. I don't have to question it. I think Goblin Engineer is way underpriced at the moment. I think I agree. Like it's just he's seen so he's so good he's so good. So so the unproven unsettled mariner at five versus the recently uh, neutered hogak at five. Yeah. Which of those two? Mariner versus hogak. Yep. Uh so hold on. Let me. I have to look up hogak's price history here. To see exactly where he has been. So you're paying five dollars for Hogak today. Yep. Let's see, what is your price Which history look like? Yeah. Uh so it's dropped. So basically basically so what I'm asking. It's dropped two or three bucks you, since you, the ban. Do you have more faith that Unsettled Mariner will find a role in humans and spirits to to great enough extent that it'll push to ten? Versus Hogak finding another list that puts up regular results. It's probably Hogak. Hogak is still a very potent card whose cost is not that high. And he's most people aren't going to sell them. They're going to stash them. And as soon as a deck with Hogak shows up again that looks solid and is winning, people are going to remember that. There's going to be some strong price memory, and they're going to run it right back up. Uh, whereas Unsettled Mariner, no one's going to buy that right away. Like they're, they're, That'll do well in a deck, and they'll go, oh, yeah, okay. And it, you know, it'll take a little bit of time before people decide it's good enough. I, I almost put Cast Dissident Mage on my list this week and then realized I'd already said that like three or four weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but you can still find copies and even cheaper now. I think I put it on the list at four, I want to say. And you can find copies as low as 250 to three now. That just can't be right. It's already 5 owing Grixis lists. And these are the only non-foils ever printed because it was printed as a commander card. Uh, previously so between commander and modern play this has got to be a future ten dollar card give it say two years i still don't love cast i like all of the options more than cast you like ice fang coaddle more than cast at four uh what's ice what am i paying for ice fang four bucks probably i think ice fang people are going to try really hard to make work because it's a new because it's another it's a modern legal baleful strix It'll still be popular in modern and it will be, or it'll still be popular in EDH and people are going to try really hard to make it work in modern. Whereas Kess is a type of card. I just, I don't see people playing four of Kess in modern, no, but they will definitely a, play four Quaddle. It's a two of in modern, but it's a mythic. Ice Fang, yeah. Ice Fang Quaddle is 
cutest list was that ninja list that we were talking about earlier where they were ba- using the ninjas to bounce the quaddle and play it again. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's I think that card's pretty good. And it, because Baleful Strix had so such a um tenure in legacy, it definitely sets a good precedent for Ice Fang Quaddle. Like you could argue that the Death Touch is kind of the least relevant part of that card. And Baleful Strix is a two mana flying one one draw card. Ice Fang Coaddle is a flash flying two mana one one draw card that sometimes has Death Touch. And I think the the like I said, the Death Touch is the least relevant text on that card. So Goblin Engineer or Ice Fang Coaddle at four, they're both the same price. Which one do you like better? Engineer. I think Engineer is my favorite card in Modern Horizons right now. Uh, and the only reason I didn't pick it this week is because I think I wrote about it two weeks ago and I've talked about it here before. Like that card, I, I just don't understand how that card doesn't end up in like $20. Like it's going to be in every time you build a red deck in EDH that has artifacts, you're going to be thinking about playing Goblin Engineer because not only does it go get you whatever sword you want or uh, a mono rock or whatever, it also gets them back if they get blown up. And it has the possibility to be part of any busted modern artifact-based combo deck, of which there are going. There have been plenty before, and there will be more. Yep, agreed. All right, so to wrap up, we have a $25 gift certificate from our sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc., and this week it goes to D Gardner 102 hanging out in the um mdg price pro trader discord channels uh, you want to be present there if you want to win one of those uh that's a wrap for this week travis where can people find you online people can find me on channel fireball where i am thinking about spending as much channel fireball credit as i have to buy as many goblin engineers as i can because i'm like you know i should actually buy some of these if i like them so much yeah i'm, um, I'm doing the same thing somewhere else because I have, I you know, I'm trying not to buy magic cards because I'm paying for, I'm in my, like, put all my money on house stuff at the moment. But I do have a bunch of Channel Fireball credit, so I can buy it for there. There, yep. um, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. And you guys can find me online on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. I'm also constantly haunting the MTG Price Discord server. Um, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Do you know the biggest win from a pro trader this week, Travis? Um, I don't, but I feel like you'll tell me. One of our pro traders that purchased uh, Russian Modern Horizon boxes close to $200 a piece via the $45,000 group order that we organized managed to pop open a foil Russian Urza High Lord Artificer. (laughs) Oh, God, what is that like? That's a nice one. What there's going to be probably what, like 15 of those? I have no idea. No 20, more than, like no more than a couple hundred, that's for sure. I so could it possibly be that many? At maximum. I mean, like how many Russian what is the incidence rate for a for any given foil mythic? Very low. In that set. Very, oh, very low. Man. Yeah, I, I, I bet you that's double digits. 
Yeah, it's several hundred dollars already for that card. And keep in mind that Urza is posting up 5-0 lists every week. Yeah. And it's and it, it. and it Grixis Urza was top aided something serious recently. What was that? It should Yeah, Urza's Urza's 35. Urza at 35 is also a really solid choice. A 35. I mean, I have no doubt that this could be a $70 card. And I think it already was. But, like, I think it could sit at 70 and stay at 70 because a lot of casual, a lot of commander players want a copy and it keeps showing up in modern. Yeah, it was it was Grand Prix Dallas-Fort Worth on July 5th that Grixis Urza placed top eight. So we've already seen serious top eight results. And that was a four of in that list. So foil Russian Urza Lord High Artificers, pretty nice catch. We also had somebody else pop up in a foil Russian uh, Force of Negation. Yeesh. Very tasty. Making me want to open mine. I've got, yeah. Have you have you touched any of your boxes yet? I mean, they're in a closet. Oh, so you have, wow, you're so disciplined. I know that the second I get down to Ohio, I'm going to crack like half of them. It's just, honestly, they showed up like, that I was, I think I was painting the day the box showed up, so they just got put aside. And like I've been going and going and going every minute that I've been home, so I just don't have time for any of that. I also got that stupid poster, the foils, whatever. I don't even open the container. Oh, my, just like, my, mine showed up with no damage. Wow, you are lucky boy indeed. No, you're not lucky at all. The guys that got the damage ones are lucky because now we get a second one. <laughs> oh well, that, that's easy breezy. I mean, if you want to pull that scam, you just tell them that you did. They didn't ask for any proof. Hmm um all right well that was a fun episode uh and i am looking forward to doing it again next week fantastic oh wait i have to read my little blurb here mtg fast finance is probably sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of nerdy stuff in stock including the best in magic the gathering single sealed product like modern horizons boxes and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance five that's the number five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast now that brings us to the end of episode 176 always a pleasure to talk to you james glad to have you back uh thanks again the cliff for the last two weeks for uh, making time for us and i will see you again next week Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. It will be number 177, and I think I will get around to telling you the story of the Turkish bath that I participated in in Istanbul, since we didn't have time for that today, and it is fairly hilarious. <laughs>